You're probably looking at me and you're saying, wait, was I that late? Uh, I, I usually come a little later in the service. And, and if you uh, see me up here, then you, you're probably thinking, oh, we're going to get out early. Don't get your hopes up high, okay? Um, you know, this week we were uh, talking in the pastoral staff and, and we were remembering some of us that, that are a little older than the others. We were remembering back when, when we were youth and, and there was this kind of fire brimstone preachers, kind of extreme preachers. And, and you would leave camp and you were so convicted that you had the devil's music in your possession. And so you go and, and you burn your CDs. That's what one of our pastors said. You, I remember going after camp and, and going to burn my CDs because they had the devil's music. And, and, uh, and somebody else kind of said, you know, I, I went to the same experience, but mine were cassettes. And, and, and some of the younger guys in the staff, they looked at each other like, what's that? And so someone else that's older than some of us, I'm not going to say who in the staff is, but she said, well, we had eight tracks. Like, you know, ask, ask a young person if they know what an eight track is. They don't know. We, I had a, a friend of mine uh, that's a pastor and he's, he, he also sings and he recorded a CD and he gave it to me uh, a couple months ago. He said, look, I, I want you to have this CD and, and listen to it and tell me what you think. I said, sure. So he, uh, he called me a, a couple of weeks later and he said, well, what'd you think? I said, well, I'm still trying to figure out how to listen to it. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't have a CD player in my car. It just has a USB port. And he said, well, what about your computer? I said, no, my computer's so skinny that you couldn't even fit a CD in it. And uh, he goes, well, don't you have a CD player at home? No, I don't. He said, what do you mean? I said, I, I'm, when I figure it out, I'll tell you, you know. Uh, most of us uh, today, we don't have LPs or CDs or cassettes or eight tracks. We, we probably have iTunes playlist or we have Amazon or, or, uh, or you know, we go uh, to some internet service or we ask Alexa to play whatever music we're in the mood to play. Uh, you know, I, uh, the other day I met the guy from the rock band Journey that wrote the song Don't Stop Believing. And, and I had my phone with him and, and I went up to him and, and I showed him that I had that song in my playlist. I said, I wish you could autograph that. And he said, that's why you should buy an LP. I said, okay, I didn't want to get scolded, uh, you know. But regardless of the media, uh, the songs that we have, the collection of records we might have, the songs that we have in our playlist say something about what we value, what's important to us. Uh, it, you know, it, regardless of, of the era that you live in and how technology has changed, music is universal. Uh, there is something about the human spirit that that connects with music and is timeless. And, and you might ask yourself, well, what would be my best song? If, if, if you can uh, talk about all of the songs that you have access to, what would be the number one song and why would it be so important? Today's message is, is titled, The Best Song of All. We're finishing today a, new, a, a series that we started at the beginning of the summer called A Life Shaped by God, Stories from the Life of David. And if you've been with us, you know that beginning at the very first Sunday of June, we have been walking with David when he was a little shepherd boy and when he encountered Goliath and when he started working in the king's palace, when he played music 
when he had to hide from Saul who wanted to kill him. We've, we've uh, experienced with David his moments of triumph and, and his moments of faith and strength. And, and we've also been with David in his moments of fear, uh, of persecution for his life, moments where he played the crazy guy, moments where, where he failed miserably. And, and we've followed and seen how God has shaped his life. And one of the things we notice about David is that for every experience in his life, he had a song. For every experience in David's life, he had a song. We have a whole book in our Bible called the Psalms. He has 150 songs and many of those were written by David. There were, there were David's songs that, that he wrote to express his walk with the Lord. There were songs that strengthened his faith in God. There were songs that he sang. And today I want us to look at one of the many songs that David wrote, uh, but it's not found in the book of Psalms, it's found in, in 2 Samuel. As we finish this book towards the end, we find a song of praise that is representative of the kind of songs that, that David wrote. And, and as we look at it, I would like us to, to see what ingredients it has that makes it the best song of all. Uh, and so if you go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 22, beginning with verse 1, we'll, we'll begin the reading of the scriptures there. And it reads like this, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent people, you save me. Now this is a very lengthy Psalm. I'm sure that if we took it verse by verse that we could probably develop an entire series around this Psalm. But for today's purpose, as we close this series, I wanna highlight uh, some important aspects of this Song of David three things that I think uh, we can learn about what makes a song a, a best kind of song in the biblical sense. And, and the first thing that I'd like to suggest to you as you follow in the notes is that a salvation song is beautiful. If you, if you read this song, even if you just look at it in the surface, you know that it is a song of salvation. Specifically, David is singing about his deliverance from the hand of Saul and his enemies, those that wanted to kill him. David remembers what it's like to be running for your life. David remembers what it's like to be hiding in the cave knowing that, that Saul is coming with, with his uh, hundreds of soldiers, his armies to, to kill him. And then to know that just at the right moment, in the most unexpected way, God delivered him. God saved him. That God rescued him from death and destruction. So he sings about it. He sings about God's salvation. That's a beautiful song. It tells the story of the one who was saved. It tells the story of the Savior who saves. It celebrates joyfully the deliverance of God. Continue with me in verse four. It reads like this. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death 
swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. Salvation is a personal experience. It is something that, that is personal. And what makes the song of salvation beautiful and unique is that it speaks to the experience of that salvation. Not only tells about the God who saves, but it tells about my, your experience in that salvation. The best story that ever has been told is that of being saved by God. We can sing songs that are well-written lyrically, and that's, that's good. We can sing songs that are set to beautiful music. We can sing songs that are performed majestically, artistically. All those things are great. But even better than that is to sing a song that celebrates how we have experienced God's salvation, that it is our experience, that it speaks to what we have gone through. When God delivered Israel after crossing the Red Sea, you remember that story? Israel was running from Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, and when they come to a dead end, God opens the Red Sea in two, and Israel's able to march on dry land, and as they get to the other side, they look back, they're rejoicing because God has opened the Red Sea. And then they see the Egyptian army coming toward them. And they said, oh my goodness, God opened the, the Red Sea and now the Egyptians are going to cross just like we did. But as the Egyptian army is crossing, God closes the Red Sea and the Egyptian army perishes there. Imagine Israel. They're watching the whole thing. They know this is not a coincidence. This is not some kind of, 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 of weather phenomenon. This is the God of Israel who saves, who rescues them. And the Bible says that Moses and Miriam led the people of Israel in a song. It's found in Exodus chapter 15. It says that Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The song of salvation of people who have just seen with their own eyes the very salvation of God. And then many years later, hundreds of years later, when Israel is in exile far away from their land, far away from the temple, Isaiah tells them that one day God will rescue them, that one day they will be delivered, that one day they will return to the land. And he says, and when you come back, there will be a song that you'll be singing. Isaiah 51, 11. says, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. 
gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. He says, look, you may, you may feel forsaken right now. You may feel like God is far away from you, but there's gonna be a day when you're gonna come back home. There's gonna be a day when you're gonna to return to the land. And when you start marching in the direction of God's purpose and will, there will be a song in your heart. The song of salvation, the song about the God who rescued you. And then the Bible tells us at the very end of history, when we get to, to eternity, that there will be a song in Revelation chapter five, verse nine. Listen to what it says. This is the very end of human history. John says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Isn't it interesting? I, I don't know if you have any concept of eternity, but at, at the very least we can say that eternity doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. And isn't it interesting that, that the writer of Revelation tells us that in eternity there was a new song. How can there be a new song in eternity? I mean, you figure. Can there really anything be new? I'll tell you why I think this means. I'll tell you why I think this is a new song. It's a new song because it's the song of the redeemed. See, the angels have been singing to God for ages. Through our eternity, the angels in heaven are singing songs to God, songs that proclaim his holiness. Holy, holy, holy are you God almighty. And they sing night and day. But you know one song that the angels cannot sing? Do you know the song that the angels cannot sing? They cannot sing the song of the redeemed because they've never been redeemed. They were never lost. They never sinned. They don't know what is to be rescued from the pit of sin. They can't sing that song. They could sing it, but it wouldn't be true for them. The only ones that can sing the song of the redeemed is those of us who were once in sin and now have been forgiven. Those of us that once were blind, but now we see. Those of us that once were lost, but now are found. That's the song of the redeemed. That's the beautiful song of salvation. Tim Keller tweeted this week uh, something that I found very interesting. He said, we are regularly, regularly in danger of having too light a view of our sin and also too light a grasp of what Jesus has done to free us from our sin. I thought about that, that somehow, sometimes we have downplayed sin. We don't take it seriously. And, and consequently, if we don't take sin seriously, either sin today or the sin that we committed long time ago, if we don't take it seriously, then we cannot have a full appreciation of what Jesus did for us. How can you celebrate the great salvation of our God if you don't even realize how lost you were? How can we rejoice in the power of the cross if you don't even realize that you're in trouble? And, and, and I think so important that we sing the song of salvation because the song of salvation reminds us where we were when Jesus found us. Do you remember? Do you remember where you were when Jesus found you? I remember. I remember being a teenager, brokenhearted and disillusioned, 
going nowhere fast. I remember crying myself to sleep. And I remember the gentle voice of God's spirit speaking to my heart saying, I love you and I have a purpose for your life. Just trust me. And I pray that prayer saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I remember the day that Jesus rescued me. Do you remember? Do you remember where you were when Jesus found you? Some of you may say, oh, pastor, you don't understand. I'm not one of those that has a, a radical story of drug addiction and alcoholism and, 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 and deviant lifestyles. I've grown up in church. I trusted Jesus when I was seven or eight years old. And I would say, well, you know what? God saved you from the same sins, except you never had to commit them. Some people fell in those sins and God has rescued them out of that, forgiven them. Some people, God just saved you from ever committing those sins. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to rejoice about. The salvation song is beautiful. Secondly, the spiritual song is beneficial. See, David's song is, is also spiritual. David sang from his spirit. Yes, he engaged his mind. Yes, he told his story. But he came from the deepest part of his spirit. It connected with God. Look, look at verse 47 with me of, of 2 Samuel 22, verse 47. It says, the Lord lives, praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock my savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free, for my enemies, you exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord. Among the nations, I will sing the praises of your name. You can sense the intensity with which David praised God, can't you? See, a spiritual song goes beyond our head and our lips. It's not something that we just sing as a, some kind of rote memory exercise. It involves our emotions and it connects us with God's spirit. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not proposing emotionalism. E emotionalism manipulates your emotions, uh, but, but a spiritual song engages your emotions. You cannot, you cannot worship in the spirit unless all of your being, including your emotions, is involved. Now, you can be emotional and not be spiritual, but you can't be spiritual and not be emotional. And, and, and so when we look at a spiritual song, Jesus tells us that, that that's the kind of worshiping that God is looking for. Do you remember the story where Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman and the Samaritan woman is in the middle of worship wars? And she comes to Jesus and she says, look, the Jews say that you should worship here and we Samaritans say that you should worship here. And, and basically she's saying, Jesus, what side are you on? Are you contemporary or are you traditional? And Jesus answers this way in, in John 4, 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, God, is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. God is spirit. And the only way to connect with God is in the spiritual realm. In order to do that, you sing a spiritual song. You sing in the spirit. It's different from any other kind of singing. 
There's a lot of singing that you can do, but, but, but the singing that connects with God is, is singing in the spirit. Paul speaks about this kind of singing and he says that it comes from the heart, Ephesians 5, 19. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Paul is saying, sing in the spirit. That comes from your heart. It comes from the deepest part of your being. It is beneficial because it connects us with God's spirit. It strengthens our spiritual life. And it gives us the kind of worship that he deserves. I love that song, 10,000 Reasons, because it, it expresses this kind of spiritual song sense. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship his holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. The, the writer of that song gets it. A spiritual song is something that is born in our heart as soon as the sun rises in the morning. And, and we want to be singing it when the sun sets in the evening. You see, a spiritual song is not just a Sunday song. A spiritual song is an everyday song. Uh, the Bible says that our, that our acceptable worship to God in Romans 12, it tells us is that it is, the, is our very lives. It is, it is a spiritual sacrifice. It is the giving of our lives to him. And, and, and we do that. You can't offer a spiritual sacrifice if you're not in the spirit. And, and so you must come to that place. And then thirdly, another ingredient of a best song is that it would be scriptural. A scriptural song is, is becoming. David was well acquainted with God's word. God had revealed himself through the law of Moses and David loved the law. He was familiar with it. He, he, he read it, he memorized it, he enjoyed it. And so David's knowledge of God was experiential, yes, but it was also scriptural. When David sings to God, he not only expresses his experience, but he expresses what God's word says about who God is. David's song speaks the truth about the God who reveals himself in the scriptures. And you see that in verse 31 of, of 2 Samuel 22. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God? besides the Lord, and who is a rock except our God. The best song we can sing expresses our experience of salvation, but it also expounds on what the scripture says about God. Our songs need to be biblically sound. They should proclaim biblical truth. Paul tells the Colossians this very thing that God's word should dwell in them as they admonish, as they encourage one another in, in speaking and in singing. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, that, let the message of Christ, in other words, the word of God, that the gospel dwell among you. In other words, be well so acquainted with it that it just sits with you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude, gratitude in your hearts. Did, did you notice the double 
uh, role of, of this kind of singing here, one of the is to glorify God. That, that is the primary thing. But in glorifying God, notice that there is an edification, there is a building up that happens in the body of Christ. It's as we sing the songs that are scripturally sound, that speak of what God says in his word, that, that we encourage each other, that we're edified, that we're strengthened in our faith. That's what Paul tells the Colossians. This week, there's been a lot of chatter on social media about um, one of the lead singers from the band Hillsong. Hillsong is a praise and worship band from Australia that has published many songs. And, and, and one of, of the guys who has written some of the songs that we sing has come to the point where he says, I don't really know that I believe in Christianity. I, I, I'm not sure, I have doubts. That I, I think I'm gonna walk away from the Christian faith. And there's been a lot of uh, chatter about this kind of thing going on. And, and one of the singers from the rock band Skillet, Christian rock band, wrote a, a very interesting piece on Facebook reflecting on, on some of the dangers of our songs and our worship today. It's an excellent piece, but, not, but, but lest some of us think that it's a, it's a style issue, let some of us say, oh, that's what's wrong with, with the new music. If we just stuck with the old music, we'd be okay. Let me remind you, this is not a new thing. I don't know how many of you know who Robert Robinson is, but Robert Robinson grew up in the 18th century England, and there uh, he grew up as an orphan, had to work as a child, and, and would hang out in the streets with other kids. And as all street kids do, especially in those times, they would get in trouble. And they were up to no good most of the time. And one time they were, they were harassing a gypsy woman. They were pouring liquor on her and saying, tell us her fortune, tell us her fortune. And this gypsy woman turned to Robert and said, you're going to live long enough to see your children and your grandchildren. And something struck a chord with Robert, they said, oh my goodness, if I'm gonna live that long, then I need, to, I need to straighten up my life. And he heard about a preacher, a Methodist preacher by the name of George Whitfield, who, had, who was preaching great revivals. And he decided he would go, but he took his gang with him so they could hackle the preacher. Uh, sometimes that's what street people will do. They would walk into tent revivals and they would begin hackling the preacher. And as, as, as they were doing that, he was hearing God's word. And there's something about the gospel that rang true in his heart. And he had a deep conviction of sin and of his need for Jesus. And he walked away with that conviction. And he didn't do anything about it for three years. But for three years, it was just eating at him. And when he turned 20 years old, then... He made peace with God and immediately felt that God was calling him to be a preacher. So he became a Methodist preacher. And then two years later in 1757, he wrote a song. And the words of that song say, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. How many of us have sang that song many times, maybe not knowing the story behind it? And then you remember that there is a verse later in the song that reads like this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, take my heart, 
Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Pro to wander. Robert recognized that he was prone to wander because sometimes sin just pulled him. Sometimes it was his theological leanings that caused him to wander. He started out as a Methodist preacher. And then after a while, he became a Baptist. I don't know if that's the first sign that something's going wrong or not. And then he started hanging around with a friend of his that was a Unitarian clergyman. Now, if you know something about Unitarians, many of them do not believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in the, in the divinity of Christ. And he was beginning to be influenced by, by that theology. And then towards the end of his life, there's a, a story, unverifiable story, that says that one day he was riding in a stagecoach and there was a woman who was humming the hymn of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And Robert said to her, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. It doesn't matter if you're in the 1700s or in the 21st century. Some songwriters write beautiful songs and then end up struggling with their own faith. And I think that reminds us of two things that I think are important as we talk about the best song, as we talk about our worship. The first thing is that our singing and worship should be scriptural and not emotional. One of the things we're reminded of with, with this kind of thing is that our singing is not about our emotions. See, sometimes there are songs and there are preachers and there are churches that make it all about making you feel good. It's all about having some kind of pep rally and all about expressing our feelings and how we feel. The problem with that is if our faith is based on our feelings, when our feelings change, we don't know what to do with our faith. If your faith is riding on how good you feel or how good you don't feel, let me tell you, your emotions are always going to betray you. And so our singing and our worship ought to be scriptural. Your, your feelings are going to change. This afternoon, you're going to feel different from this morning. And tomorrow is Monday. Mondays are terrible. I had, a, I had a friend of mine among pastors that said, he gave counsel to younger pastors. He said, pastors, never resign your church on a Monday. Never resign your church on a Monday. Your feelings are going to change, but let me tell you something that doesn't change. The scriptures. His word never fades away. So let's base our worship on the scriptures. Let's base our singing on the scriptures. Our worship is not about making us feel good. It's about expressing who God is. The second thing that I think we ought to remember is that the only celebrity, the only celebrity in our worship is Jesus Christ. There are great talented Christian authors Great, talented Christian artists. God has given them a special gift. But let me remind you, they're, they're pilgrims like you and me. They're walking the same journey that you and I. They might be great singers, great authors, but don't put them on a pedestal. That's idolatry. When we lift up people and we make them celebrities in the church because they're great preachers or great teachers or great authors or great artists, we are taking the attention that belongs to God and giving it to human beings. So be careful. And I'm not just talking about 
Hillsong or about Christian authors or Beth Moore or whoever it is. I'm not just talking about the people that have labels and published. I'm even talking about the local church. If, we, if, if our focus is on who is the worship leader or who is the preacher in my church, then we've taken attention away from the only celebrity that should be in our worship. If we get to the point where we say, well, I like this worship leader, but I can't worship with so-and-so. Or I'll only go to church when so-and-so preaches. Let me know when somebody else is going to preach so I can just stay home and watch Joel Olstein at home. If that's you, something has gone wrong and you need to be careful. Because your faith ought not to be based on who the preacher is or who the worship leader is. Your faith ought to be based in Jesus Christ. And he can use anybody he wants to sing or preach or write. And we need to remember that. David sang a salvation song that was also spiritual and scriptural. And this kind of singing strengthened his faith and glorified God. And if we desire the same thing, if we desire to grow spiritually, if we desire to glorify God in our worship, we need to sing the song of salvation, of our salvation, that is both scriptural and spiritual. And let me tell you, you can't sing the song of salvation if you haven't been saved. So if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that's where you need to start. You can't celebrate salvation if you haven't experienced it. That's where you need to start. Or maybe you have, but today, God is shaping your heart to become a more refined spiritual worshiper. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your head as we pray? God, I want to thank you today for David. What an incredible life. But more than David, I want to thank you for the God of David who shaped him, who redeemed him. Father, I, I pray that my song would be like David's song, a song of salvation, a spiritual song, a scriptural song, and that you would be glorified. God, remind me today and remind all of us here today that singing is not about us, it's not about making us feel good, but it's about giving you of ourselves, offering you our heart and our mind, our experiences, our gratitude. Help us to sing that song today. Help us to sing that song every day. Father, allow your spirit to move freely in this place to bring about conviction for those that, that need to come to know Jesus for the first time, that need to accept that they're lost and that they need forgiveness, that they need what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead to start a new life. Or whatever it else, whatever else your spirit wants to do in our lives, we open our hearts and this is the time that we respond in faith and obedience. This is the time that we say, yes, Lord, do it. Do it in me. The rest of our worship service is gonna be singing and giving. As we sing, I wanna invite you, if you wanna to come to the front and kneel down, you can do that. If you wanna have a seat and pray where you are, you can do that. If you wanna pray with me, I'll be up here. If you have a need, if you're making a commitment, whatever it is, I'll be here. We're just gonna sing more than one song. 
Allow this song to be an expression of your heart. Worship in spirit and in truth this morning.